Welcome to Life Undissertated with the Millennial Black Professor. I'm your host, Dr. Latasha N. Ely Kelly, yours truly for making it make sense by making it plain. Hey everyone, today I'm sharing some of my work on black hair and body politics. The MBP, Through Life Undissertated, aims to present the fullness of blackness, and experiences of skin color bias and hair discrimination are part of that. This is an important part of my story, our story, and deserves to be told. I was hesitant to do so because, as I shared in episode one, black struggle is not the only thing I want to write and talk about. Also, quite honestly, I experienced major burnout from all things academic and especially related to my topic after completing my dissertation and obtaining my PhD. Even my love for reading was gone. I didn't want to see another book. But this week, I sat in on a meeting that reinvigorated me and was motivation to share this before Black History Month ends. Part of my work in higher education includes serving as an advisor to a Black student organization that will soon be hosting a Red Table Talk discussing society's expectations of beauty. The host of the event, two undergraduate Black women, met to discuss logistics, flow, discussion points, etc., but were stuck on how to address many of the issues related to hair and skin color that are salient to their personal lives. First, it struck me that I began this work in 2012, and here we are a decade later. Then, I was reminded of my age and that it was actually 15 years ago that I wrote my undergraduate senior thesis on the impact of colorism on African-American self-esteem. The fact that colorism and hair discrimination are still major issues that Black people contend with in multiple aspects of their lives is indicative of the lasting impacts of slavery, racism, and systemic bias. Before we go any further, let's do a mindful visualization something like guided meditation, if you will. Humor me for just a few, as I promise there's a purpose. I ask that you get comfortable, listen to the sound of my voice, and really allow your thoughts, awareness, and any emotions you feel to follow. It's Monday morning and you wake up early to prepare for work. You have a stakeholder meeting you're leading, so you decide to wear your power suit. You take extra time getting ready, giving yourself a little wink in the hallway mirror as you head out the door. You look good, you smell good, and it's going to be a good day. You go by drive-thru to get your daily coffee and make your way to the office. You enter and speak to your staff, coworkers, and supervisor, feeling confident about the impending meeting. About 10 minutes before the meeting is to begin, you head to the conference room to grab a seat, distribute materials, and do a final once-over of your notes. A few moments later, one of your staff members enters the room, also grabs a seat, and says hello. As they do, they reach out and grab some of your hair, commenting on how soft it is. You're stunned, but don't have much time to respond or react, as by now, others have joined the room and the meeting is about to begin. Another day in the office, you're sitting at your desk typing a document and your supervisor enters. Noticing you've done something different with your hair, She reaches out to feel it. You're again shocked, but stuck in the moment, unsure of how or if to respond, considering if you do, and depending on how you do, 
what the consequences might be. You decide to say nothing, but feel off for the remainder of the day. Sometime later, you've changed your hair again, as we do, and your supervisor enters and leans in, reaching out for a touch. Thankfully, you're swift enough to pull back just in time. Your supervisor seems upset, and an awkwardness lingers for the remainder of the day. A week or so later, you and your team are out of the office for a professional development and team building retreat. During lunch, the new salon being built around the corner comes up and you mention that you plan to try it out. A coworker loudly asks across the table, how often do you wash your hair anyway? Another teammate follows with, well, is that even your hair? Your real hair? Shocked and embarrassed, you quickly excuse yourself to the restroom and dread returning knowing you'll be expected to actively engage in the remaining collaborative activities. On another day, a senior leader you have regularly worked with on various projects joins your team meeting. When going around the room to take attendance, they pause when they get to you, then utter the name of a coworker who was new to the team and looks nothing like you. When corrected by other staff members, the director says, oh, well, you've got to stop changing your hairstyle like that or I won't be able to tell you two apart. Later that day, you speak to the director one-on-one -on -one to express discomfort with the earlier comments and other violations you've experienced. The response is, you are being overly sensitive and actually quite aggressive. It's suggested that you take your qualms to HR, but you're told their response will probably be the same. You return to your desk, unable to focus on your work. You leave the office that day feeling detached and unsure of yourself. You feel disoriented and aren't sure why. You end up missing several days of work and may face disciplinary action. Since the pandemic began and most of the office is working from home, the problem has only gotten worse. You and other Black coworkers are regularly misidentified and confused for one another. And anytime you change your hair, it's practically added to the team meeting agenda. You want to go to HR, but the senior director's warning echoes in your mind. You're weary and don't know how to proceed. Whew, that was a lot, right? I find this activity impactful when I'm teaching or giving presentations because it allows a small peek into the persistent, often daily microaggressions Black women face pertaining to their hair, including its texture, length, and styling, and in various areas of their life, especially professional and academic spaces. Consider your thoughts, feelings, and emotions while listening to that narrative. Many will be all too familiar with these types of interactions in the ordeal of processing them. For those of you who've never had such encounters, that was only an inkling of what is a frequent occurrence for many Black women. Throughout my research, stories like these have been shared with me by women from a wide array of backgrounds, including different age brackets, educational levels, socioeconomic status, and professional fields. In higher education, Faculty, staff, and students complain of these personal violations. Across multiple branches of the military and at the highest levels, I hear these stories. Black women in media and communications who are producers, Black women in law, K-12 education, the nonprofit arena, within federal agencies, and even in the beauty industry, all share these stories with me. And the common theme is they are traumatized by something many minimize. That quote-unquote little thing that was said that wasn't that big of a deal or that the person meant no harm by saying is harmful to Black women 
particularly as these microaggressions occur over and over and the negative impact builds over time. It was in the final year of my doctoral program that I first heard these types of experiences referred to as assault. I was co-teaching a seminar in black hair and body politics with my advisor, Dr. Kimberly Moffitt, who's currently interim dean of the College of Arts, Humanities, and Social Sciences at University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Her identifying what are often referred to simply as microaggressions as actual assault was a profound moment for me. I've been the victim of unwanted hair touching, inappropriate call-outs in professional settings, and felt that power dynamic when the perpetrator is someone in a supervisory role or someone who can otherwise directly impact my career trajectory. I've had the concern and worry that comes when you're forced to choose between speaking up and likely being labeled an angry Black woman or remaining quiet and subsequently feeling guilty for not standing up for yourself. Having been through that, this new framing of the problem resonated. It was finally having words in an accurate way to describe how these situations and the frequency of them, so frequent that you kind of know when they're coming and even try to prepare for them, but really can't because who knows what might be going on that day or your state of mind in that particular moment. It was finally having all that so accurately described as a form of trauma-inducing assault that was super impactful. So, of course we know what assault means. We know what it is and how we use the word in our everyday language. But listen to the legal definition. According to Cornell Law School Legal Information Institute, assault is generally defined as the act of intentionally putting another person in reasonable apprehension of imminent, harmful, or offensive contact. Physical injury is not required. Keep that in mind as I read statements I've received permission to share from some of the women I've had the opportunity to speak with over the years. I'm reading them because it's in this way that we make space for and validate these voices as important, meaningful, and critical to understanding and combating skin color and hair bias, stigma, and differential treatment. Names have been changed to protect identity. Krista said, For years I wanted to lock my hair, but didn't because I'd heard from mentors and colleagues that if I got locks, I would not move far in the professional world. I'd block myself from success. Nicole stated, I've had my hair touched without asking several times. As I grew up in a predominantly white community, they didn't understand. I was uncomfortable, but wasn't sure if I was just being silly. When I had black friends with the same hair as me, they made me realize that it was not okay. Those friends encouraged me not to give in to being someone's pet. Brenda shared, There was a point where I thought I would never go natural and literally felt I was addicted to relaxers in college, but that stemmed from a lot of criticism about my hair and it being so thick. Shannon described a time when she was stationed in Turkey. I had a white supervisor, and at that time in the Air Force, the regs said we were allowed three inches in bulk and ponytails worn no further than our collar. I had done the big chop right before I left. While it had grown long enough to be a teeny-weeny afro worn with a headband, it was nowhere near three inches in bulk. But the reg wasn't really written with the black girl in mind, and it was tiring to keep explaining, my hair doesn't grow straight down. It's a puff, and that is my ponytail. During an inspection, my supervisor planned to write me up for being out of regulation. Fortunately for me, I kept the hair reg in my pocket at all times because of the amount of scrutiny on us black female airmen in our hair. She planned to proceed with the write-up anyway, but I reported the issue to her supervisor, 
who was married to a black woman, and he intervened. There have been revisions to policies and it's getting a little better, but at the end of the day, when they say professional, they mean white. I worked with other airmen who wanted to go natural but didn't want to deal with the BS, so they felt forced to get perms. Latoya, a stylist, said, I had a client who decided to do the big chop, go natural. She'd done a lot of research on styles, hair products, and the different stages, and felt ready. She came, and we did it, cut off all her relaxed ends, and she was left with a short, curly fro. When she looked in the mirror, she was devastated, almost to the point of tears. She said, I can't go to work like this. I was confused, as she had been so excited for the change. Apparently, the reality didn't match up to what she'd seen or visualized in all her research. She said, I'm a lawyer at a firm full of older white men. I could never go in looking like this and proceeded to ask me to make her a long, straight wig instead. Wanda shared her cultural belief in the transferal of power through one's hair, body, and touch. She said, that's why I don't like my hair to be touched. Whether I know you or not, I don't know where your hands have been, and in the past, I've experienced hair damage and loss as the result of unwanted touching. Deidre, a retired cosmetologist, recalled, During cosmetology school, None of the preeminent textbooks by famous hair companies went into depth about black hair. We were made to learn on mannequins with straight or wavy hair, never tighter, coarser textures or curls. The standard we had to learn was white hair. I was able to apply the science of hair to various textures, but in the salon of a well-known department store was often forced to take lower price styles, which meant less commission, because the white stylists were never required to learn black hair and had no desire to. This meant sometimes having to service two to three heads to their one to make the same amount of money. When I transitioned to the classroom, teaching, I made it my aim to ensure all my students learned diverse hair types, even if it wasn't required by the state board or for other certifications. Finally, Sherelle shared, I'm an officer in the Army and find the hair regs to be racist. For many years, they all but forced Black female soldiers to choose between chemically altering their hair in ways that can produce long-term damage or being out of regulation and face consequences for that. Even now, with some of the changes that have been made, I know that if my hair is not slicked back walking into a meeting, I won't be taken seriously. As a Black woman, I know I have to be beyond exceptional. I'm always aware of the space I occupy within the Army, which as an officer is primarily comprised of old white men. Because of my features, I'm over-sexualized and have dealt with a lot of sexual harassment. I'm not going to make myself even more ethnic in their eyes by wearing my hair in its fully natural state, and I want to come across as much as possible as what they deem professional. As we bonded over these stories, I often shared my own. Like many Black women, my hair story began as a little girl subject to hair care and styles determined by my mother. I have memories of my hair in plaits and ponytails with noisy hair ties and barrettes and can see and smell the grease used to smooth and brush my hair into those styles. I remember my mom straightening my hair with a hot comb, heating the comb on the kitchen stove, and telling me to sit still and hold my ear. I can hear the sizzle and pop of heat meeting grease and feel the hot metal comb getting just a little too close for comfort. Eventually, I progressed to a rite of passage for many black girls, transitioning from the kitchen and sitting on the floor between my mother's knees to regular appointments at Miss Jean's beauty salon. I didn't get a relaxer until high school, and when I did, I wanted bone-straight hair. 
For years, my mom, a cosmetologist who had recently gone from short, relaxed hair to a small fro, encouraged me to go natural. She insisted I wear my hair as it grows from my head, which is in very tightly coiled curls. My answer was always a resounding, but respectful, no. At that time, I placed such value on straight hair as a primary component of my aesthetic appeal that I failed to see any benefit in going without a relaxer. I literally couldn't picture my own unique curl pattern, nor envision the beauty in it. Maybe it was the fact that the black women I saw in music videos, the majority of black women on TV and in the movies, and most of the professional black women I knew almost all wore straight hair, whether relaxed or pressed, and at all times. Maybe it was the fact that all the popular girls in school wore their hair straight and the guys made it clear that's what they liked. Or maybe it was that my mom had my cousin and I wearing wave nouveaus as middle schoolers. Talk about traumatizing. Whatever the cause, fast forward to 2011 and one bad relaxer changed the game. I could smell the fried hair with every turn of my head and my hair was shedding everywhere. When I next saw my mom, she confirmed in her matter-of-fact way, you're going to have to cut it all off, Latasha. I have no doubt she was giddy inside. So I, we, did the big chop. With less than an inch of hair remaining, I actually felt so free, but had reservations about my partner's response and coworker feedback. While I didn't need my partner's approval, I did care about his opinion. He was affirming and supportive, and now he's my husband. At work, I received my first negative reactions from the black male security guards. Shocked by my new look, they didn't even try to hide their disappointment and were vocal about their disdain. Black women questioned the appropriateness of my hair or admitted they were scared to do the same, though they really wanted to. What some consider a simple hairstyle change affected me enough to rethink and alter the focus of my dissertation to consider how younger black women might experience this same projection of negative opinions, advice, and perspectives about their appearance and natural state of being coming from not only white people, but from within their own community, along with similar messaging from the media, and how these young women manage attempts to conform to societal beauty standards while simultaneously staying true to and loving themselves. This is Black Body Politics the constant navigation of social and systemic barriers to our physical being, a balancing act imposed upon us stemming from the desire of those in power to remain in power. And this is where we'll pick up on the next episode of Life Undissertated. If you enjoyed today's episode and want more, Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe. Whatever you do on the platform you're using to make sure our voices stay on their necks and continue to be heard for the culture. You can also check out everything the MBP is up to on IG at the Millennial Black Professor and at themillennialblackprofessor.com. Till next time.